I made quite a few of these early mistakes in my career that were just big blows. And I would keep making them over and over again. And I wasn't progressing as an entrepreneur. I would make money in one aspect, lose it in another, and it was just rinse and repeat. Eventually, the gift that I got was I learned that if you actually want to get better in life, learn from your mistakes. Avoid making the same one over and over again. And eventually, you'll get to where you want. Now, it doesn't mean that I didn't repeat mistakes. I would try to avoid them, but sometimes I would still repeat them. But eventually, I got really good at avoiding the same mistake over and over again. Dear friends, it's Kurt Derdix, and welcome back. If this is your first time listening, then I'm so glad you found us. This week, I'm excited to share my conversation with the legendary Neil Patel, the trailblazing marketing guru and founder of Neil Patel Digital and CEO of the epic keyword research tool, Uber Suggest. In this enlightening interview, we learn that Neil is more of an entrepreneur than a marketer. The power of storytelling, Neil's point of view on values, and why 10x talent is the key to scaling. Neil also gets real about one of his greatest setbacks and the gift that this million-dollar mistake gave him. This show has a lot to offer anybody interested in entrepreneurship, marketing, how and why building robust team cultures are so important, and of course, Neil's truly unique personal success story. Please go to curtyd.com to subscribe to my newsletter and see special content I've created. And on to today's show, here's Neil. Neil Patel, it's an honor to see you, my man. Thanks for having me. How's life? Yeah, it's really, really good. You guys are in Vegas now? I'm in Vegas, yeah. I've been here for a few years. We like it. It's not too bad. Weather's not great, but other than that, it is what it is. I'm so excited to talk to you for so many reasons. I've known you not super well, just like over the years, seeing you around at conferences and tech events. We have just a ton of like super awesome mutual friends. And I've just learned so much from you online. Like your content is just prodigious. And I actually did your 10K course and I love learning. You're one of the best teachers online. I think objectively, I think the results are there. And so there's like a bunch that I'm excited to dig in with you. But I guess just out of curiosity, I know you grew up in the OC, but what brought you guys out to Vegas? So grew up in OC, then lived in Seattle, then lived in Vegas, my wife here. And yeah, had kids, stuff, and we're still out here. Do you miss California? During the summer, I miss the weather in California. Yeah, that's awesome. I haven't been to Vegas in a minute, but it'd be fun to come out there. Yeah, it's incredible how that community has grown. So that'd be, that'd be a good rewind. So you catch us up. You grew up in the OC. You went to school, studied marketing, Cal State uh, Fullerton, right? Yeah, went to Cal State Fullerton. My buddies at the time, I wanted to have some change. One of my buddies was like, come to Seattle. So I went to Seattle and stayed there for a good amount of time, five, six years. I liked it. Yeah, I remember when you were up there. I Fullerton's near and dear to my heart. As you can see in my background, there's all these guitars. And so let's see, out of the five that are here, one, two, three, four, four out of the six here are Fender guitars, which is the home of where Fender's based out of Fullerton. It's a cool town. I grew up in Ventura, so it has kind of similar kind of throwback to a simpler time kind of vibe. Awesome. Yeah. What... Like, so when you were at school, was there any insight that you learned from school that has stuck with you? Or is there anything that propelled you to where you are now or any professors that kind of lit you up? If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have went to college. 
My parents wanted me to go, hence I have a degree. I don't really. Yeah, you had to be culturally getting the college degree was important. Indian parents, right? Yeah, they wanted it. So I eventually got it. And yeah, they were disappointed you weren't a doctor, but now you're like rich and famous marketing guru. So they're probably pretty proud, right? <laughs> proud. I, they didn't put pressure for me to be like a doctor or anything like that. They wanted me to be in computers or engineering or some sort of tech industry. So it worked out for them. Immigrants or what's the story? They were. So my dad was born in Uganda, mom born in India. All the Indians were exiled out of Uganda. UK took in refugees. So then I was born there. My dad met my mom in India. They moved back to London. I was born there. And when I was a few years old, my mom wanted to live in a better climate place. So hence we're in Southern California. So do you have a British passport? I do. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. My dad was the first one born here. His sister was born in Austria. Yeah, I can relate a bit to that sort of second generation immigrant mindset. It's not first generation, but my dad was entrepreneur and worked really hard. And yeah, that's awesome. So what captured your imagination about marketing? Like what talked to what was that sort of journey? So it wasn't anything that captured my mind of marketing. And I wasn't trying to be in the marketing industry. I was trying to create a business. It was the first real one was a job board or not even a real one. My first quote unquote tech or online business was a job board and no one came to it. And I was like, why aren't people coming to my website? And then people like do marketing. I was like, oh crap. So then I paid a marketing firm, didn't get results, paid another one, didn't get results. I was broke, frustrated, just had to learn it on my own. I didn't really have any other options. And then I got good at it and I was like, huh, maybe I should do this marketing thing because I was getting traffic to my job website and I still couldn't make money. And I was like, maybe I should just do marketing for other people and get them traffic. That's funny. So what year was this roughly? Around year 2001, if I had a guess. Oh, that long ago. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What was the niche for the job board? There was no niche. It was everything. Yeah. That was a problem, right? That was too broad. No, didn't know how to accept payments online. Oh, well, that was pretty hard to do back then though, right? Yeah, it was much more difficult, yeah. There was a Stripe, PayPal was a newer company. Yeah, well, that's cool. So you basically hit a brick wall, got good at marketing. There's this idea that's kind of, the, my brother Christopher and I talk about a bunch. It's this idea called purposive drift, where you're sort of just heading in a vector or heading in a direction. You don't have any sort of clear... You sort of, you kind of know you want to head in that kind of direction. I think that's very like pragmatic. I think a lot of us or some of us can get sort of academic and just try to like build the perfect model versus just kind of doing something and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and then take that next. So like that actually the timeline then makes a lot more sense. Then Google was coming online. Was there some insight where you had like, oh my gosh, like Google is going to be the future and there's this like... No, not no. I didn't know about any of this. I remember when I first started my job board, I was like, I want traffic from MSN. I was like, that site's so popular. There was no Bing at the time. And eventually I quickly learned the traffic's in Google, optimized for it, and in the long run you can do well. But there was a lot of search engines back then. Yahoo, Google, yeah. MSN, AltaVista, LookSmart. There was just so many. The list kept going on and on. When did you realize Google was going to be the winner? I never really thought that Google was going to be the winner or not going to be the winner. It more it just gradually happened, right? It wasn't one year, as you know, that Google just took over. It was a lot of things that has led Google to win. 
such as that. Eventually, they started powering Yahoo, if I'm not mistaken. I forgot when that was. Then they ended up having the Android devices, Google Chrome. Google Chrome was involved. There was a lot of things that helped them become the leader or the winner. And I was there, right time, right place, and just kept cranking. Did you know Gil and Aitan Albez from Applied Semantics back in the day? I did not. No. Yeah, so that's cool. I kind of fast forward it now. Like, there's a bunch of other stuff I want to get into, but like, what when you think about kind of who you are and what you do, like, how do you describe yourself? I'm just an entrepreneur or a marketer, whatever you want to call me. Always created businesses. Never really worked much for other people. Have a few times in my life. Most of my life, I spent, you know, just being an entrepreneur, and specifically, I focus on marketing as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Is there any sort of misconception about what you do or who you are in the market that's, that comes up? Or do you think it's pretty clear? No, I think it's pretty clear that people have their own perceptions of what someone may or may not do. But yeah, just grinding it away. The funniest thing is some people always think like the journey is easy, but it's never really easy. It's a lot of little things that add up to help you get to where you are. It's usually not like one moment, like you did this and then everything changed. It's just a lot of grinding for a long time. That's the reality of it. Yeah, no, I think that's super fair. What were some of those in your journey? Were there some breakthrough moments when you unlock, it's almost like a video game and you sort of figured out some pattern and it unlocked you to the next level? Like, is there anything? There was a few ones. So one of the big moments, and this happened like three, four years ago, I learned that hiring See, even before then, I've had previous startups where I raised venture capital and the VCs would always tell me, you got to hire amazing people. So you're like, okay, sounds good. You got that advice. You go and you try to find the best person. But eventually clicked for me like three, four years ago when in my latest company, NP Digital, I was just like, let me go and hire people who have done this before for my competitors and who are super successful. And they've gone promotions within their jobs. They've been in the industry for a long time. That's unlocked a lot of success. Yeah. That has really helped propel my career. Another one that's really helped was when I first started, I couldn't afford to spend money on ads. So I would create content and I would just create a ton of it. And it didn't really produce the results I was looking for in the first year, two, three, four years. But doing it for like 10 plus years, it eventually adds up. And it's like, yeah. This has done wonders for me and has really helped me get my career to a better place or made my journey a little bit better. But all things, whether it's hiring the right people or whether it's creating content for a long time, it all stems from just doing this long enough. I've hired enough people that didn't work out where eventually I figured out how to hire people that are going to work out. I created content long enough to figure out how to get the results I was looking for. It was just a lot of little things that added up and just tweaking. Like no matter what you do, you're probably not going to get it right the first time. And that's okay. But if you just keep at it and learn from your mistakes, eventually you'll get to where you want. Yeah, it reminds me of a little cliche anecdote that my dad says, which is that people overestimate what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what they can do in five or 10 years. Yeah, and people just don't have the patience, right? Like it's funny, like I was talking to friend and they're just like man it's so hard to get rich when you only have like twenty five thousand dollars i'm like twenty five thousand dollars is a lot and he's just like no it's not and i was like look if you just put it in the market believe it or not right after 40 years if you're compounding at 10 percent, you're looking at you have over a million dollars 
right? And you just keep going forward and forward and it's the law of compound, right? And it's like this yeah. thing when you put in your effort. Like if you had a kid and you gave them $25,000, I know that's a lot from the day they were born. By the time they're just some quick math for you, by the time they're five years old, you will have whopping $28 million or they will have $28 million. Yeah. That's a lot of cash, right? It's just people are patient and consistent. They just don't keep going through with whatever they say they're going to go through with. Yeah. That's the sort of insight that Warren Buffett figured out at a young age is the power of the nonlinear math and that compounding. Yeah. I can really appreciate, I've been doing the podcast now for a year and it's still early days. And like by being able to do have interviews like this is like a big milestone actually for me, because it just sort of keeps the bar keeps raising. And it's just like, so thank you for that. You're too kind. Aim higher with your bar. I should not be any part of it. You're a legend, Neil. I mean, you're like up there with Seth Godin, my man. People love you. You're too kind. I think I have a long way to still go, but, uh, Great example. Like I'd love, I've done some of Seth's, I did a story course with him and really helped me to sort of understand at least his framework for storytelling. And right now I hired a songwriting coach and I'm working on writing an album and it's all in service of like understanding how to tell better stories. And you've been really, I just, I really appreciate, I did your 10K course and kind of learning through your framework about using even like the keyword tools to figure out like kind of the market space. It's using data to inform what you're trying to do. Like even with this show, like it's still like right now, it's kind of a wide aperture and I'm still trying to figure out where I want to niche out. But, you know, it takes like the way that my process is working. It's a little bit more of like practitioner and just doing stuff and seeing where it goes versus like, having some like flash of blinding light insight on the mountain and then be going forth. So I guess having said that, I also appreciate the routine and the dedication and the amount of work it takes to create content consistently. It's hard. It's not easy, but especially if you're creating content on what you love, the time flies by. Yeah. So you do, you're prodigious with your content. I know, like, I think I talked to you on the phone maybe a year or two ago and you were, I think in LA, busting out a bunch of content at a video production studio. Like you have a framework where you like batch your content, right? You'll just bunch a bunch out. Funny enough, in like two and a half, three and a half hours, somewhere around there, I had to head to the studio and do the same thing over. I do that at least a few times a month where I just batch and I'll just crank out like, 16, 17 videos, each five plus minutes long, maybe 10 minutes max. Yeah, it really adds up. It makes life a lot easier. Yeah, I've started doing that too. Like I had Aaron Ross on the podcast yesterday and I have another interview later today. So I'll batch three this week. You get in a better flow. Better. Makes life way easier, right? Because it's like sometimes you just need to crank through really hard, get it over with, and then you get a breather and you feel energized again, you're like, all right, let's go again. Yeah, I love that. Well, we're kind of talking a little about philosophy, kind of high level. Like, are there any sort of key principles that you live by? Like even like with NPS or MPD, that's Neil Patel Digital, NPD, right? Yeah. Like, are there some core values that you guys kind of promote? There are, like, we're all about thinking big and not just thinking big on like a grants on a stage and it's like how grand is this going to be? But like when I say think big, I'm also talking about thinking outside the box. 
a lot of times you won't have the time, the resources, the money compared to other people, but it doesn't mean you can't win. You just got to think differently and you got to think big. Another one is own it. A lot of people say they're going to do stuff, but very few people actually go through and follow through on it. So it's like, own it. If you're going to say you're going to do something, do it. You know, I teach my kids the same thing. When I tell my daughter I'm going to do something, I do it. Because if I don't, then she's going to learn that you can just tell people whatever and not go through on it. And right now she's not doing that with me. She'll just tell me that she'll be like, yeah, mommy said if I clean my room, I can have a cookie. And she'll be like, I cleaned it. And I'm like, no, you didn't clean it. I'm like, I still see you didn't do anything. You're going to do it. You got to do it. And I gave her the example of like, I went to Utah a few weeks ago and I came back with a little princess dress because I know she likes it. And I told her I'm going to bring her something back from the trip. Doesn't have to be expensive. It could be a dollar. It could be a pin or whatever it is. But I told her, I'm like, when I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You need to do it as well. That's a big pet peeve of mine is when people say they're going to do something and they just don't. Yeah. I think you're talking about integrity and you can get to a point where your word becomes so powerful that you just, you can speak reality into existence because you're so like connected to your word. Yeah, that's power. I think the other thing is, is the humans are by and large, like really forgiving. And if you like screw up or you kind of come clean on like where you fell short or were out of integrity, and if you can speak to like what you're doing to fix it or how you did fix it, you can restore that integrity. Yeah, you can. But like I said, a lot of people don't care. Yeah. They just don't. And it is like, yeah, I'm going to say whatever and I'm not going to follow through on it and I don't care to repair it. It is what it is. Yeah. Any other values or principles that you guys promote to work or to the family? Yeah. A big one that I promote with my family is it's like, as a family, you need to spend time with each other. They're not in this world. See, it's like a lot of people like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm doing, I got work. I got soccer games. I got whatever it may be. That's just distracting you. I'm like, you got to create time for what's important. And whenever you're spending time, you need to make it count. Like a prime example of this is I do a lot of things. I'm busy. But whenever I spend time with my children, I make it count. Like I'll actually sit and play with them and do hide and seek or run around and chase. Like I'm all in, right? I'm not picking up my phone. If I'm eating dinner with my wife, I'm not texting. I'm literally all in focusing, having conversations like, Whatever you're going to spend your time on, there's only so much time in this world. Make it count. Put in the 110%. If you're not putting in 110% for whatever time you have, you're just wasting it. Life is just going to fly by and then you're going to live in regret. Yeah, well said. Where do you get blocked still and how do you break through? Where I get blocked is sometimes patience. I don't have the best patience. Even though you said earlier I'm good at teaching, I can teach, but... If people have a hard time understanding the concepts, I can give it in many different ways until they try to get it. But like after a while, my patience runs thin compared with educating, but it's more so like with children. So I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old and I love them to death, but just sometimes the patience runs thin and I'm really good at not yelling. I don't ever hit my children either. I try not to get angry at them because I don't want them to be have that with their children one day. But it's more so there's no logic there. Like if you explain something to a child on why it should work this way and how it's better from, sometimes it's just not going to work. She goes to play soccer and she wants to take a baseball bat with her and you tell her that's not how you play soccer. 
doesn't matter what you tell her if she wants to use the baseball bat to hit the soccer ball it's just hard to convince them otherwise and that is something that's changed me as an individual i've gone much better at patience and just learned the concept that if i give my child a baseball bat to hit a soccer ball even if it's not right what's really the worst that's going to happen like why get frustrated over it why get upset like cares let him hit the baseball yeah. let him hit the soccer ball with a baseball maybe other people look at my child funny maybe they make fun of the parent cares my child's happy and they're loving life i teach my kid don't worry what other people think just enjoy life for what it is now if they wanted to hit the another person with the baseball bat now we got a problem right and it hasn't come to that but still i've learned that not everything really matters in life and other people don't really care other people are worrying about themselves so just live yeah. up and live life for what it is and don't worry what other people think yeah there reminds me of another anecdote my dad talks about wisdom from dad is giving people the dignity to learn lessons on their own timeline. That's a tough one because you're like, sometimes you're like watching a car crash about to happen and you want to intervene, but like you just got to let them do the thing. I do that with some of my friends because some of my friends, I used to give business, but like, no, you're doing this wrong and whatnot. And then I realized it doesn't affect me if someone doesn't take my advice. It's more so that I don't want to create a conflict with my friends in which they're like, oh, Neil keeps giving me advice and I don't take it and I don't care for his advice. It's more so I don't mind my friends making mistakes and learning from their experiences. And it's easier to help them out when they need help or they want it. Just budding and be like, hey, you're starting a business. You could do this better. Sometimes they just need to learn it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's taken me a long time to get there in an intent to want to be helpful. I used to sort of just like offer unsolicited advice. And now I always like, I try to edit myself. And if I do have an insight, I'll try to ask for permission. And hey, I got an insight. Would you like to maybe hear it? Sometimes I'll say no. Even like I talk to my dad, something, ah, I don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> so the other insight there too is I've gotten older. I, if I get triggered, I'm able to use the triggers as a cue to like, okay, I need to like kind of step back. I'm sure I'm not a parent yet, but I'm sure that, you know, as God willing, my wife and I have a baby, hopefully soon, a lot of this practice will come into effect. And I can only imagine it's like daily how, how having young kids is test your metal all the time. It is. And you love them to death, then those positive moments make up for the bad moments. Yeah. Yeah. And it flies by fast. So shifting gears, I had Robert Scoble on the show last month. It was really awesome talking to him because he had a really big impact on my career. He had the book making conversations too back in the day. Yeah. I actually, I met him right around the same time I met you. I just had a memory. I think the first time I met you was with Tyler Crowley in TechCrunch. 50 before it was disrupt at their at the old design center in san francisco we had launched city source we had made finals we took third place and i remember him being like oh that's neil patel i want to meet neil i think you were doing some work marketing work with TechCrunch at the time is that yeah at the time yeah we we're helping with their marketing yeah and i met robert and he had me on his podcast on scobalizer and that sort of like with the TechCrunch finals and then getting our scoble we ended up taking a bunch of awesome meetings with like Sequoia. Made a lot of friends through that. It was really interesting talking to him. We got really real about his whole experience about getting canceled with Me Too movement. He got sober and he's kind of rebuilding. And I helped my... Yeah, it's pretty cool. I helped my dad get sober when I was in college. So we were able to sort of bond through that. Yeah, it was kind of full circle. 
But having said that, you know, Robert being Robert, we got, we totally geeked out on the emerging future. And he was kind of giving me sort of his point of view about what he's really interested in right now, which was like spatial, sort of like all things like in that same breath, there's a lot of changes on the horizon in marketing with a lot of privacy laws. I think Europe with its GDPR, right? That's the European law. California's in a, copied some of this. Well, what's your sort of sense about where things are going? I mean, is I hear some people talk about the cookie-less web. I hear people talk about this idea that building community is going to be a lot more valuable, being able to have direct access to folks' emails and that sort of thing. What's on your horizon with the quickly changing landscape in the marketing world? I take a little bit of a different approach. I don't worry about laws and stuff that I can't control or if it's a cookie-less world or if the world has cookies. I more so look at it as, hey, produce amazing content, build a community, and it doesn't matter what the laws are. If you're providing a ton of value, I'm not talking about just like a little like doing what everyone else is, but if you're going above and beyond, you'll have the audience no matter what changes happen with the law or marketing in general. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it- just build your audience. Like, look, it doesn't matter what laws happen. Michael Jordan has a cult-like following for his Jordan shoes. He's still going to sell. It doesn't matter if Facebook ads don't work as well because Apple changed some privacy setting. Jordan shoes still sell and they make a ton of money. The point I'm making is, is if you create something that's amazing that people love, you can do well either way. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like rewind back to the dawn of time of, a pe- you know, just people sitting around a bonfire and talking stories, right? It's that simple. It's sort of the more things change, the more things stay the same, right? That's right. You know, storytelling is that thousand plus year old marketing tactic that still works. Is there anything that you've changed your mind about storytelling as you've told so many stories and done so much content? Like, is there anything that you think you're like, oh yeah, that was like, I don't know, any sort of like transformations in your approach to telling stories? No, other than just making it shorter. Like over the years, I learned that the quicker you can get the story across and the message that you're trying to convey and take people through that emotional roller coaster, you're going to be better off. If you can do it in five minutes instead of 10 minutes, you're better off. If you can do it two minutes instead of five, you're even better. But good stories have a lot of different elements, which you already know. The key is you just got to take people through. The big one is the emotional roller coaster within that time frame that you're trying to convey your story. Who are some of your favorite storytellers across the board, whether it's like could be writers, authors, songwriters, directors. Who do you get liked about? J.K. Rowling is one of my favorite storytellers. Seth Godin is amazing as well. But there's a lot of people out there who are amazing storytellers. It's just, what do you like to learn and what kind of stories do you like listening to? Like, I love watching interviews of Warren Buffett's talking about his past and telling stories on how he got from where he started to where he is today or how he bought some business or turned it around. I recently watched a documentary about Carl Icahn on HBO. I saw that. That was so bad. Yeah. And the whole yeah, airline takeover. Yeah. Exactly. It's just amazing hear the stories on like how he failed with like the airline takeover, but how he succeeded in some of the other things. And just overall, you know, it's like I like learning about business, entrepreneurship. So I think what storytelling, the big thing is, is it gets better for you or you'll enjoy the stories more if it's something that you care about, right? Yeah, that's fair. Have you met Seth Godin? Once at an old conference back in the day called Elite Retreat. 
this is a long time ago. There's a guy named Jeremy Shoemaker. He used to be, I don't know what he's up to these days, but he was really heavily into the marketing space. He would have an event called Elite Retreat and Seth Glenn was a speaker at one of them. Yeah, I love his approach. I just find him, he just seems to be like so smart, but like a lot of heart too. Yeah. Yeah, really pragmatic. Sweet. Kind of turning the page, like one of the core themes of the show is humanizing success. And I shared a little bit about some of the challenges. I helped my dad get sober. I don't think you know this, but when I was in my early 30s in, in 07, I got the gift of hearing. I was born without ear canals and they had planted this incredible hearing device called a Baja into my skull. And now I could hear it magically. That's crazy. I didn't even know that. Yeah, I used to be really kind of vain about it. In fact, a funny story of my wife, which she met me in a professional setting and just thought I was just sort of one of these like LA tech bros, which I, fair enough, I was. But when she, as we started getting to know each other and she learned about my story and that kind of stuff, she completely changed her point of view about who I was and what I was about. I used to pray to God, like, give me ears to hear and I'll do my part to change the world. And the miracle is answered. And now I'm trying to do my little part to like inspire other people to go to that next level. And it's been, I feel so grateful because that happened in 07. I, I got into tech in 08 and this community and this market has given me a new life. It's meeting people like you. It's just been remarkable. And you know, even stuff that's happening, like it was you know, really bittersweet holiday weekend. We had a great time. We're so lucky July 4th, 2022. And then the stuff, the shootings happened in Chicago, five minutes from my boss's house. We have a lot of problems in our culture. But I also, to steal a line from Seth Godin, he talks about that the long arc of time bends toward justice. And there's this idea that the bigger the breakdown, the bigger the possibility for a breakthrough. And I really do believe that to be true in my life. Having said that, there are challenges professionally or personally that you face that you're comfortable sharing. And how did you get over the hurdle and what gift did that pain give you, Neil? So before I answer that, let's go back to you. It's amazing how technology ends up allowing you to hear now. What was it like hearing for the first time? Well, so to be fair, I had 35 to 40% hearing loss. So I had all the nerves inside work to just no canal. So it was like living with earplugs in your life all the time. So, so like, I always need the earplugs. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I had to sit in the front row of class. I did really good at school because I had to really pay attention. It also helped like my EQ to be able to read people. But when I got the earplugs out, metaphorically, I remember you know, being able to hear the wind for the first time. Wow, that's cool. And being able to like be in a social setting, maybe if it was like in a bigger room, like if it was farther than six feet away, I could tell people were talking to me, but I couldn't hear what they were saying. So it made my energy like before I had the hearing, I was a little skittish and I would change a topic if I couldn't understand the conversation and there was just some coping mechanisms. So what it did is just allowed me to kind of just slow down and be much more grounded. I had to do a lot of like cognitive therapy and therapy to sort of like work through some of those hangups that I weren't my coping mechanism. But, and one of them is like vanity and just being honest about stuff. So, yeah. So I would say one of the hard parts in my life was when I was young, I believed in a lot of people. What I mean, I believed in them. I took their, whatever they said as face value as true. And I remember 
when I was in my early 20s, I invested in this company called Vision Web Hosting, more so created it. It was my idea. And I was like, why do you need your own server? Why can't servers be shared resources? In essence, it ended up becoming the cloud. I'm not saying I was the first to come up with it, but the concept was what we see now as a cloud. And I found three people to do it with. They weren't the best partners. Put in over a million dollars. It was all I had. Plus, I had to borrow money, right? And I remember they were telling me things like, oh, I need this surgery. I have cancer. I need that. And then I would just keep giving money and just helping them out. And I would feel bad. And one day, they took all the equipment, all the servers, liquidated it, and they just bounced out. Oh, my God. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. And I ended up shutting down the business focus on what I was good at. And I ended up paying back all my debt, which took a long time. But yeah, I had a lot of moments like that just in life, more so in my earlier days. And what I just learned is it's like, you know, it's those experiences that make us, you learn from your mistakes and your failures. And I remember my parents would be like, you're giving these people money. You don't know them. You don't know what you're doing. And I was like, yeah. I would tell my mom and I'm like, no, you don't know what you guys do. You don't understand technology. Trust me and all this kind of stuff. And my parents supported me. They helped me out. So I was very blessed on that end. But yeah, it was kind of crazy just thinking about it. So it's made a lot of mistakes like that over the years. So is it, it was it part of the gift that you learned how to read people better? Bigger gift was not necessarily learn how to read people better. It was more so learning from my mistakes. I made quite a few of these early mistakes in my career that were just big blows. And I would keep making them over and over again. And I wasn't progressing as an entrepreneur. I'd make money in one aspect, lose it in another, and it was just rinse and repeat. Eventually, the gift that I got was I learned that if you actually want to get better in life, learn from your mistakes. Avoid making the same one over and over again, and eventually, you'll get to where you want. Now, it doesn't mean that I didn't repeat mistakes. I would try to avoid them, but sometimes I would still repeat them. But eventually, I got really good at avoiding the same mistake over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, what, there's that cliche. I think Charlie Munger talks about this a bit, is Warren Buffett's partner, that repeating the same mistake over and over again and expecting a different result is definition of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, though, because I think that creates a bit of objectiveness to be able to you know, have awareness that you're sort of in some sort of pattern or what's sort of driving us to keep making those mistakes over and over again. I got to work for a billionaire for about six years, a guy named Jack Dangermond. He was the founder. He still is the founder and CEO, president at Esri, ESRI. And they're like, they pioneered computational geography, enterprise mapping with a product called ArcGIS. Guy's probably worth about 10 billion now. Yeah, he bootstrapped the business, never took any investment. He always says his uh, customers were his investors. I love that. And he's a really special guy. He's 77, 78 now. Started the business when he was 25. I spent a lot of time with him. He invested in CitySource. He was our sort of growth capital for that business in 2010. We were able to return capital to him in 2019, which is awesome. And he used to tell me like that his insight that relates to what we're talking about is that he would live above the line. And above the line was context and below the line was content. Below the line is the stimulus response function that most humans get trapped in. And they're just, that's where you're just in a kind of unaware, subjective hamster wheel. And that his gift is he was able to live above the line, step back and have context and be creative and imaginative, like your point about go big. And that was his, he says, 
kind of like backhanded compliment, like Kurt, you'd be like, Kurt, you're lucky you might live like five or 7% above the line. <laughs> Inferring that he's like 50% or 80% above the line, right? And that's why he's a billionaire and I'm not. <laughs> as I, I think also as a challenge to like get me to be more above the line, to your point. Yeah. yeah he's pushing you, pushing you to be better. Yeah. Can't hit on that. I love that. Speaking of which, kind of a little bit of a tangent, but my last gig at Coplex, which I worked with Ilya Posen over there, co-founder at uh, Pluto TV, and I worked with Keith Lindner. Yeah, Keith used to work with me. Well, ended up selling. I forgot the who. I think Comcast or someone like that. Yeah, Pluto sold to Viacom. Yeah, CBS. Yeah, I think. Yeah, Ilya crushed it. I, I, don't, he, they, I think it was like $380 million cash deal between two or three co-founders and I don't think they raised very much money. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. I think I talked to him once or I don't know if I actually talked to him, but either way, I know the guy likes partying it up in LA or used to, I used to see it on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we used to host events at his place. Good times. Keith, and I really, really, really liked Keith. I thought he was a really talented guy. He had, he just always had really nice things to say about you. And he said he learned a lot working with you. He's now brilliant now, somewhere like that. Yeah, he's in Australia, had a baby. I think he's doing great. I need to give him a buzz, but I think he'll be happy that we were uh, talking about it right now. (laughs) Well, let's do this. I'm just kind of keeping an eye on the clock. You're so generous. I'm going to ask a few rapid fire questions. Thanks again for your candor about some of the challenges. And sorry that that happened to you. I've had some deals like that. It's like, it helps build us to what we are. Yeah, 100%. Who's the best client you ever had and why? Never had one best client. It was a lot of little ones. I'm not, it was a lot of them, not little ones. And it doesn't matter in the size. But see, when people work with a client, they're like, oh, I'm providing results. I look at it as a client, I was like, I get to learn about a new industry, learn new business, figure out how they do. And let me get to where I am right now. Just because someone's paying me for work doesn't mean that I can't learn as well from them about how they succeed and got to where they were. Okay. All right. That's fair. How do you think about like services, business versus product? Like, do you have preference on one or the other? Services versus product. I don't think either one is bad. I think you should just focus on whatever you're good at and whatever you think you can scale and make. I've done both. Yeah. And you're doing both, right? You have the NPD, which is a services business. Yeah. And then software, Uber suggests and tools like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uber suggests is awesome. I don't prefer one over the other. It's just more so you should just figure out what you're good at and do that. There's big businesses that are both. Yeah. The thing that's interesting about what you're doing is similar to what I'm up to at Hunt Club is I'm making an assumption, but does Uber suggest create any sort of flywheel, like a product marketing flywheel back to NPD? It does. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. That's awesome. Great. What's one thing the world doesn't know about Neil Patel that we wouldn't know if I wasn't too curious to ask? It could be even a fun fact. Like, were you the mascot at Cal State Fullerton? (laughs) No, I don't have anything. I used to get pulled over by the cops for something that was silly. I remember one of my first cars that I was driving was a 89 Toyota Camry. The starter wouldn't work, so I had a rubber mallet, and you would hit the starter with it, so it started. Yeah. The cops thought I was breaking into a car one time. I'm like, no, my starter just doesn't work. And they're like, oh, you should get a fix. So I'm like, yeah, it's too much of an old car. I don't want to spend the money, so it's easier to keep tapping the starter with a rubber mallet. And they laughed. That's funny. Sounds like there's going to be a rubber mallet story coming out on the interweb soon. 
If you could, you see all these guitars behind me. I love playing music. If you could magically have any band play any venue, who would it be and where? It could be past, future, present, be a rapper, singer, songwriter. I don't have anyone specific. I don't listen to too much music or anything like that. Any band? Yeah, not I'd even probably that. pick the Beatles. My dad loves the Beatles. Oh, I love that. I just took, my dad loves the Beatles too. And I just took him to see Paul McCartney two months ago at SoFi Stadium. And it was just the two of us. And it was pretty awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So how, if our audience wants to get in touch, you're really active online. What's a good channel for them to engage? Twitter? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on all of them. Yeah. And it's at Neil Patel. I love your Instagram. You're one of my favorite Instagram follows. Just always like some kind of bite-sized nugget to learn from. Is there anything that audience can be helpful? Like if, you know, if they want to engage with you guys at Neil Patel Digital, what's sort of the ideal client? What's tall enough to ride with you guys? We have an SMB division and enterprise. So if you need marketing help, it doesn't matter what company size you are, hit us up, npdigital.com. Neil Patel, you're a scholar and a gentleman. I thank you so much for giving us some time today. Super grateful to be able to know you and love to do something with you in an event somewhere soon. That'd be fun. Sounds good. I'll let you know next time I'm in your neck of the woods. Yeah, sounds good. Really appreciate you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Take care. Thanks again to my friend Neil Patel for being our guest. I appreciated his humility, honesty, and the values he lives by. Neil inspires me to go bigger and be better. I love learning from him, and I'm so excited to see what Neil does next. I'm at Curdy D on Twitter and Instagram. Also, Kurt Derridix on LinkedIn. Please do give us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash Curdy D. Definitely help spread the word. And until next time, Curdy D loves you. Thanks for listening. To review the show notes for this episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, and any links mentioned, visit CurdyD.com. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to be notified when new episodes go live. Stay tuned for more unique perspectives shaping the world on The Curdy D Show.